The opinions and views expressed in this video are purely for entertainment purposes and not for investment advice. Welcome back, YouTubers. I am here with Kaylin and Sam, as always. Uh, Brandon is down in Florida for work, uh, so we're not going to have him this week. But uh, hope he's having fun at the racetrack. <laughs> um, Three bucks or so here and there. I think you won twice already, bastard. Um, but yeah, this week I figured we're going to start off by talking a little bit about the markets, uh, S&P, Bitcoin, and then uh, we're going to talk about maybe the psychological factor of how to deal with it, because I've been getting messages all week, and, uh, and I think it's good that we, we touch on that a little bit more. And then uh, we'll just talk quickly about maybe some some trades, our assessment of some charts, and then uh, just touch on this little bet that I did. So with that, let's uh, let's go straight to the, the markets. Again, what do you want to look at first, Bitcoin or uh, S&P? Uh, let's take a look at Bitcoin because that's I know even today it's down quite a bit again, right? It's kind of moving like crazy lately. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. So that was when was the 19th? Is that Wednesday, the big sell-off? Yeah. Yeah, so that's the big sell-off. Um yeah, and I, and I, I called dead bottom within like 200 bucks and I didn't take the trade. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember I, I was I woke up late that day you, I, to a message from you. I was like, oh, it's going to go to 29K. I look at the charts. I'm like, holy shit. I hope you bought that. Yeah. Yeah. I was at like 38,000. I was like, we're going to 29. And then I went to, <laughs> what did it bottom at? Like 28.7 or something like that? <laughs> the, this is the average. It took the average. So uh, it could oh. be lower or higher on other charts, but it's 29.6 on this one. So this is just the average. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the one I was looking at was the Binance one and it went down to 29. What did it drop to? Or 28,715-ish, it looks like was the bottom. And then it bounced straight back up to like 42. <laughs> oh, is that the Binance futures chart? Yeah. That's the one I usually watch. I'm telling you. So this is why I stopped trading futures on Binance. That, that thing moves, man, because I had spot orders for, for 29,000 plus and it oh, missed. Yeah. Binance Binance spot didn't even get to uh, 29,000. I turned around like 30,000 something. And then now you're telling me that the futures hit like my order, like I'm still kind of mad right now. <laughs> yeah, that was, the one I, that was the one I always used to trade it on. So that's the only one I watch. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, I just want to say like uh, the, just the outlook of, uh, of Bitcoin. What do, you, uh, what do you see in the charts though? At well, least the like formation of the last week. Yeah, like right now we're like pretty comfortably below the 200-day moving average. And like, when was the last time we were below that? Was was it 20? Was it like the dip at the beginning of when was it 2020? Is that the it's last COVID. time we were below? It's yeah, COVID. yeah, you got them on there. Yeah. So I don't know, man. It's like we were saying. Like, I think a lot of people are just like. I think a lot of people probably did get trapped at the top because it sat. It kind of sat at the top, you know, around, you know, 50 to 60,000 bucks for quite some time. And I think a lot of people probably started to feel comfortable because in that time is when all the institutions were buying and, you know, Elon Musk bought just before that. And you keep hearing all these articles. So I think a lot of people kind of got stuck. And if they were, you know, investors, so to speak, then they probably would have gotten scared out on a dip like that because usually you're not looking for something that's, that's that volatile. So it could be a little bit of that. It could just be, you know, the, Bitcoin's just volatile in general, so it really depends kind of how you're in it, you know, if you're trading it, if you're in it for the long haul or, but um, it's it's kind of tricky to, to tell, I don't know where you think it's going to go next, but I think it's going to probably base here 
should bounce above the $30,000, $29,000 area for a little bit. And I think it's probably going to kind of keep testing that 200 day and uh, see what happens there. We're kind of, we're kind of in a, in, it looks like we're probably going to end up trending between a 200 day and 2930 area probably for a little bit until we get our next move. Yeah. So it's going to be range around you thinking that here. I think so. Yeah. Cause I, I don't see it like, I mean, after dropping almost straight down from like, you know, 40,000 all the way down to like 29,000 or sorry, like 50,000 all the way down to 29,000. I don't think it's just going to rip right through that bottom again. I could be wrong, but I bet you it's probably going to kind of bounce around through there for a bit. And if it starts bouncing down, then we're likely going to end up going down, I would say, maybe as low as like 16,000, really. Oh, yeah, you were saying that earlier, right? You see, you saw yeah. 16,000 in support somewhere. Yeah, like, again, I'm looking at the Binance futures right now, but like, I would, yeah, I think probably, yeah, like 16.5 maybe is kind of the next area I'd be looking at to buy if it breaks, if it breaks hard below that 30,000 area. There you go, I see it, yeah, 16.1, 16.2, yeah, that's not a bad area. Yeah. Looks like it was it was a top for the last uh, bull run, and then oh, is it? And then well, not the top, but it was like once it sold off and it came back up. That's exactly where it was rejected. Sixteen, yeah, yeah. See that? See when it tops and you get that tiny bit of consolidation right by the peak there in twenty eighteen. Yeah. That's that's the area of interest. It's it's usually not the very very peak on those kind of setups. Yeah, right. You're right. You, so yeah, what I. Yeah, a little consolidation. That's where that's where you're going to see support. You won't really see support right at the peak. Yeah, and it looks like we re retested that area when we first broke out back in what was it December, right there. Yeah. This little wick that just came down, we tested it. The market just wanted to confirm. Yeah, because that little wick above, that's usually just a whole bunch of money flowing in and out in panic, and then that first little bounce is where you get your first little support where guys are getting into their their heavier positions. Yeah. Yeah, so for those that don't know, this is the 2017, 2018 sell-off. This was the peak, and then this was the the long winter. <laughs> that was when I started trading, just August of 2017. I do want to point out something that's very curious and interesting, though, because a lot of I think a lot of people think the markets is just some weird kind of casino. They certainly treat it that way with their money, but like there's there's actually a lot of bigger factors at play like this looks like it's just a random top that happened out of nowhere maybe it hit 20k people sold off but people forget the stock market was down this this period during this period as well um 20 december 2018 uh, this was the beginning the february area was when the bond market had the first tantrum uh post uh financial crisis so the bond market was doing exactly what it's doing right now and it caused both uh, the bitcoin and the stock markets to dip so i just want people to realize like these things aren't random there's there's a cause there's a cause. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at it like that, like it, it just, it just looks like, what is that in the one week? Yeah. The one week, it just looks like we really had never had any support when we got out over 20. Like yep. there's Nothing. like, that's what I mean, like in that, you know, that $30,000 area, that's a little bit of support, but there's, there's really nothing until we get back down into that range, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because that should support pretty nicely. Yeah. It's just, it just, there was so much, so much excitement that it just blew past so fast. Like that's, that's why we always say that's a good thing. Like if, if Bitcoin had broken out above that $20,000 area and stayed there for, you know, several more weeks and bounced along and then trended higher, you wouldn't get these kind of big pullbacks. Yeah. And it's actually funny you mentioned that. I remember I shared this one in the chat. I was just looking at that the other day and I thought it was really curious because Bitcoin actually has a history of breaking out and not uh, retesting. I mean, do that wrong. 
has a history of breaking out and not retesting. How did I draw that last time? Was it this this way? Yeah, there you go. Thirty-two percent. So this was the original twenty well twenty two thousand eleven to two thousand thirteen mm -hmm. bull run. It broke out and it retested uh, exactly thirty-two percent above its previous high. So never it never touched the breakout area, and then it did the same thing here when it broke out in twenty seventeen. Whoops, let's try with that. Bear with me, people. Um, yeah, so there you go. It broke out in 2017, and it did like a 30-something. Oh, no, it should be 27. There you go. Yeah, so let me zoom in there. So, right, it broke out in the 2016, 2017 bull market. And again, it retested 30% or 20-something percent above. And it just, it had it had this gap there. And then what's what I found interesting this time was that we're actually testing the gap now, I think. Why do I keep choosing this tool? I keep choosing the channel tool. There we go. So there you go. So I thought that was interesting. Each time we break out from previous all-time highs, we stop short about 30% and then mm. continue on. And the same thing with the 2019, and then now look at us. Yeah. So, you know, the, the past is not an indicator of the future, but it, it's, it's also something not to ignore because it has a history of not retesting its all-time highs. Yeah, I, I would say it definitely is an indicator of the future. That's why, like, that's why you know they always say there's a saying that says, you know, when you're whenever you're trading, look left, because yeah, yeah, stocks and patterns and charts, like each each individual chart and each individual stock tends to have its own kind of personality, and they tend to repeat themselves quite frequently. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree, and and even look at so so I've been one of the earliest people to call that our current cycle is actually an analog to the 2013 cycle. And it's nothing like the previous one in the 2017. And if you look at the, so the 2013 cycle, when it broke out, it had two tops. And uh, 2017, it was just one straight arrow up, but it had two tops in 2013. And we topped on the RSI as well, right? Mm -hmm. and, that, and that's when they had the giant pullback and they went like for a massive run again towards the end of the year to November. And I'm just wondering the same thing's going to happen now because this is an intermediate top. Again, we topped on the RSI, we're retesting the 30% above the previous high. And then I'm wondering if we just go now. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, that looks like it's repeated. It's just like it, it almost like to me, it almost looks like too clean to the point where it needs to do something a little bit different. <laughs> so, yes. So, I think the one thing we, we've touched on before, but we haven't talked about a lot is like once, once something is known, once a pattern is known, it stops being useful. And like once everybody's looking at the at a specific number, it stops being uh, true, right? Right. So you're right. I think yeah. everybody's looking at this. I think that really depends on what you're what you're playing and what you're looking at, though, because like think of, you know, if you think about something that's like a, a long term investment, like think about you're buying like a big company, like a good company or just say the S&P index, like you're buying the S&P index. Right. So most people that are buying that are going to be investors that are in it for the long haul. Right. So if they're looking like they don't really care exactly when they're getting in and that I, I would argue that that's probably most of the money that's going into the S&P every day. People yeah. that are buying it, holding it for a long term, right? So even if you're seeing those levels, I don't think that it would really matter that much if they broke or anything like that. I don't think it would cause some kind of big panic, but I would say that that probably is true for something that's being like something that's more tradable per se. Like something that's like a look, like something, I, I, but I don't, I can't, I can't tell if Bitcoin at this point is tradable or if it's investable, like which, you know, who, more of the more of the dollar value 
Right. That's a that's a really good point, actually. I think a lot of people who invest in the uh, S&P 500 don't even know that they are. It's through like a pensionary or like some kind of program. Yeah, they probably don't even know when they're buying in. Like their funds are just doing it for them. Or yeah, like you said, an RSP or whatever. Because like, like if you're trading, like if you're looking at small caps and stuff like I trade, then that 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 does kind of wage true to a certain degree. Like if you have if you have something that everybody knows, then it kind of becomes a little bit invalid. But the thing with small caps is there's usually so much new money coming in that the same patterns that worked 20 years ago still really work today. <laughs> because like, you know, it's like they say there's a there's a 95% failure rate or whatever it is. So you get those 5% of guys who can actually profit off the off the small caps, off the volatility. And then, you know, every single week, there's just tons and tons more people coming in that trade for three months and then they give up and then they trade for a few months, then they give up. So like that flow never really stops. So a lot of people know the same patterns and the same patterns still work that worked 20 years ago because it's always, you're always taking money from the same group of people. They're just, they're just newer generations. You know what? That's a good point. You're like, uh, you guys are like those uh, pros that played the casinos, that, that play poker at the casinos. Like you get a table of like, I don't know, like nine people at the table, but like six of them are pros and only three of them are, are the profit. Like, you know, the new fish shows up at the table. They don't know what the fuck is going on. The pros are just yeah. like, thanks for yeah. lunch. I take their money. Like, this is easy. And then they come in the next day and there's a new guy again. You just keep doing the same thing, right? But that's, that's kind of a big thing to think about though, is right? Like is, is who's, who's in this thing? Like, is it right now, I would argue that Bitcoin, probably a huge percentage of it. I don't know how much of the whole float, but probably a really large percentage of it is new, you know, call it, dumb money right people that are just jumping on the hype they're all excited and you know they just they just buy in and then that's when you get panicked right because they don't know they they bought this thing at fifty thousand bucks and that drops down to 40 and they're looking at their account they're going oh my god i just lost you know ten thousand dollars and they just freak out and they sell it right whereas everybody who's an investor they're just like oh whatever you know i'm, I'm not selling this thing for 30 years who cares what it does right now so depending how much of that is on each side of the coin has a huge impact on how it's going to trade yeah, I'm just going to pull up Glassnode. Uh, so I pay for data. So here's here's one thing about Bitcoin. People, you know, they, if some uninformed authorities are like, oh, it's good for like the black market. It's anonymous. I'm like, bullshit, it's anonymous. Look at all the data that I got on Bitcoin. I know active addresses. I know the amounts of the active addresses. You could track the, every trend. That's the point of a blockchain. You could, it's auditable, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just wanted to show real quick uh, the addresses. Is this one? Yes. So let's look at three months. So it looks like retail bought the top in April and they started selling. Okay. And, and, and it's retail is actually starting to buy now. It looked like it bottomed middle of May and retail is actually starting to pick up. So this is addresses. So this is a non-zero balances. So this is just total amount of addresses with some value in it. This one's 0 0.01 Bitcoin. So this is like, I don't know, like a hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks for the mm -hmm. Bitcoin. These guys, they, these accounts are going up. Um, one Bitcoin accounts are still going down. 10 bottomed and it started to, to accumulate. Uh, well, those with 100 straight down. Those over 1,000 started picking up May 18th. So they're up. So they're buying this dip with those with 1,000. And 10,000 right. up. So 10,000 up. Okay. Yeah, so that makes, that makes perfect sense then because it's like, like you, all the guys that have no money in their account, they all bought the top because they, they see it spiking and they get excited and everybody... As you go lower and lower in that, the people who have more and more and more money, you see that chart getting steeper and steeper because they're like, I'm not buying the top, I'm waiting for a pullback. Yeah. And, and the way I'm looking at the, the, the identity of, this, of these holders is like, 
I think those are the hundred Bitcoin. You're in like the tens of millions. I think these are like high net worth individuals, maybe some trading firms or traders. And so it makes sense that they would dump because they're trying to time the market. But mm -hmm. those with a thousand and ten thousand, these are like firms. And these are probably yeah. those investors we're talking about. So that's why they just want to accumulate. So that's what I'm thinking there. And here's the other thing. So Purpose ETF, that's the Canadian, that was the first Canadian ETF, Bitcoin ETF. Uh, they have about a billion dollars. Well, they had a billion dollars of assets under management. They started buying on the 19th. So despite Bitcoin price dropping from 42,000 to 33, their, their fund actually has had inflows for the last three trading days. Mm. So, and so look at their assets under management went up. So they bottomed at 17,600 something Bitcoin. They're up to 18,300. So they're buying. And so the, the people who are investing in ETF, ETFs are more likely to be uh, people that can't invest in Bitcoin directly. So I'm thinking high net worth individuals and other maybe kind of firms, hedge funds, things like that, maybe family offices, right? And so it gives me more vote of confidence to say that Wall Street is not not um disinterested in bitcoin i think they just want it at a better price yeah i think a lot of the people that are buying the etfs too are just people that don't really understand or don't trust like buying bitcoin on on some other exchange oh, right? and i totally get that yeah oh 100 yeah, i know a lot of people that i've talked to who who are more like investors they're they're like well you know how do i do my taxes on it how do i do this like is it safe is it secure I, I keep hearing these things get shut down here and there. So like, all right, well, I'll just, I'll just use my normal broker and I can buy an ETF that I know I can sell it when I need to. I know my taxes are all going to be reported properly. Like, I think that's a, that's a huge thing for people when it comes to the ETFs. Yeah, that's a super good point. Cause um, you get that counterparty risk. Like I personally have been on account uh, exchanges, three of them <laughs> shut down. <laughs> Luckily only two of them had any assets on them. And those two were like shit coins. So they would have been worth nothing today anyway yeah yeah so but but so this is a uh, sofer uh well adjusted sofer so sofer is um spin output profit ratio so this is a metric that looks at all the bitcoin wallets and it compares the dates at which they were created so they know the price based on that date and then they know the date when in which the wallet was liquidated so basically they assume it was a sell um mm. and so anything below one means it was that it was liquidated at a loss based on the date that it was created. And yeah. since Monday of last week, Bitcoins that were sold since Monday of last week, on average, have been sold at a loss. Mm. And the last time we saw that occur was basically COVID. Yeah, so and that tells so, me that's panic then. Yeah. So anybody anybody who sells a loss on that dump is panicking. Yeah, yeah. They're ir irrational, irrationally selling and... Um, called it like middle of the week. I said, this looks like capitulation. Mm -hmm. right? People, you don't sell when you still have hope. You don't sell at a loss when you still have hope. You sell, <laughs> you sell at a loss when you have no hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like 2020, right? Like as long as you're, as long as you're in good stocks, you can relax. Like all, all the stuff that I've bought for long term, like, you know, a lot of it's gone down and some of it's up and it's, I look, it doesn't stress me out in the slightest because I bought that stuff for like, a decade hold minimum and I know they're good companies, so I'm not concerned about it. Yeah. And I think we, I'm pretty sure we talked about this before. I was like, especially as an investor, like it really helps you through these times. If you, if you, if you had the right reason to get into your position, right? If you mm -hmm. got into a stock, but you did your homework, wherever the price is, you know, you, you did your homework, you're like, this thing is a, a winner. 
it's going to be a little bit easier to hold on to it versus you bought because your uncle told you to buy or your, your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all. I, I always hated that too, man. Like I, I got out of that. I didn't, I didn't do it for the longest time. Like I always buy stuff for like, even just in like, like in short term trading and stuff, like people would say like, oh, like this thing's a, a good short or a good buy or whatever. And like, I, I just noticed that like, even if it was a good setup, even if it was a setup I could kind of recognize, if I didn't know everything about it myself, I, I, I would either sell for a small loss or I would just leave like huge amounts of profits on the table. Cause I'm yeah. like, I don't know why I'm in this thing. Somebody just told me to get in this thing and now it's going down. And I'm like, like, do I research this? Like, what do you know? You start panicking cause you don't know why the hell you're in this stock. It's a terrible feeling. Terrible feeling and it strains friendships right now. You look at the guy that suggested it to you like you asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's like I was just telling you on the podcast, like we were talking about like, you know, on Twitter, like all these people that get in, get in these big groups and you have like one person says something on Twitter and everybody's all excited about a stock and then a thousand people start saying the same thing. And that original bit of information could have been false or poor information, but now it's just gone down the pipeline so many times that you're, you're looking there and you're thinking, oh, wow, this guy's saying, this guy's saying, and everybody's saying, and there's, there's a, a thousand likes and like, okay, well, this must be true. And then you make a decision based on that and you either lose money or you don't make the money you think you're going to. And I was just saying how I've, I've never, I've never really personally been burned by buying into something because I never liked the idea of buying into something like short term like that based on what other people are saying. But I've been burned a couple of times just on missed opportunity. Like I was just telling you, you know, I, I like I was work, I was at home on Friday. So I was trading like during the day and, um, I had uh, one of the chat rooms I was looking at and someone said like, oh, like someone like so-and-so has bought this thing long. And they're like, like, I know who they are. They're a really good swing trader. And like, it was one of my things I had short orders at already. So I had my shorts and my covers in and I'm like reading and everyone's, uh, you know, it gets this whole string going where it's like, oh, if so-and-so is buying this thing, like I'm not shorting that anymore. Like, oh yeah, they're always right. Like, I'm not going to short this. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, ah, oh. like, well, fuck, like, should I, maybe I'll take my orders off. So I took my orders off. And of course I like nailed it. Like, nailed the top within a couple pennies and it would have been like a quick 5% move or whatever in two minutes. And then it, it did rip higher. So like overall, you know, this person was right, but that wasn't my trade. Like my trade was like that quick in and out, you know, quick snap and then we're done, which worked out perfectly. So everybody's saying that this person was in it for like a, a week long swing trade kind of screwed up my, my day trade. And I was like, I was like, what, why did I do that? I've done that a couple of times over the past month. So like Coming into Friday now, like I, I, I even saw a couple of things where people said similar stuff and I was like, I don't care. Like, you're, you know, people are like, oh, don't do this. That's a terrible idea. I was like, well, I got my plan, so I'm good. And like some of the ones that people said don't touch, I shorted and I made money on. So like you just got to, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's the, it's the same old thing where it's like, yeah, stick to your plan. That's all great. But I think the bottom line is, and this is something that, you know, it's, you got to learn and it takes time to learn. But the bottom line is you just, you have to trust yourself and you have to know why you're in the trade and have your own plan, right? Otherwise, if you don't, you're just going to be too stressed in the trade. And the shorter the time frame, the higher that stress is. So if you're doing stuff on a really short time frame, you have to know everything. You have to know exactly where you're getting in, exactly where you're getting out, exactly what to look for if something goes wrong, because all that stuff happens in seconds. Yeah, I think, I think one, there's probably a several intolerable feelings in trading but like one of the worst ones is being in a position and you being in that position because you listen to somebody else or you're influenced by some outside piece of information right um just the other day so like it's weird whenever prices of anything crash everyone screams manipulation they don't say it, you know it goes up 20 percent. they're like nope manipulate it nope 
But when it goes down 20%, they're like, ah, right? Yeah. So when Bitcoin dropped on Wednesday, I started seeing a whole bunch of shit about the Wyckoff distribution, this and that, like a whole bunch of people, they want the price down, right? And then right that same day, my my other crypto chat, like these are, these are this is a class of 2017, so they should know better, right? But this guy shared this thing. He's like, oh, I'm this group, and uh, there's this guy, there's this insider, he's leaking out this information saying that they want Bitcoin price at $25,000. So watch for 7 a.m. tomorrow, Bitcoin's going to go for a dip. Sure enough, 10, 10 a.m. comes and it doesn't even, it doesn't even move. Like, yeah. What, what, imagine you, you 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 trade it based on that bullshit information. Yeah, right? you can't. You can't. There's always going to be somebody who has a different idea. Like, like, look at it this way. You know, if, if you're going to take a trade, you could be shorting a trade, and someone else could be buying that trade long at the exact same time. But you would you could have two completely different outlooks. Let's let's you know take take this for example. Let's say you know let's say there's a guy who wants to swing something overnight. Right. For whatever reason, he's going to swing it long. He's looking at the thing and he's going to buy it today if it goes to new highs, because that's his thesis. He says, you know what? I've seen this. pattern. This is my setup. If this thing goes to new highs today, then I know it's going to open higher tomorrow. Like that's my thesis. And then you have someone like me say who's thinking, OK, if this thing goes to the high of day and it looks like it's struggling, I'm going to short it and I cover down in the next support line because I know if it's struggling at high a day and it's you know, this time of day, I know that pattern and I know it's going to come down, right? So yep. both, let's just say both of us post on Twitter at the same time. This other guy says, you know, if this thing goes to high a day, I'm buying it. Like it's going to go higher. I've seen this pattern a million times. And then I post as well, like this thing's at high a day. It looks like it's struggling. I'm going in short. That's all you see on Twitter. You don't see what our actual plan is. You don't see what the long-term output is. So you have two people that are saying the exact same thing. And both of us could very well make money on that exact same stock. He could buy right where I short and we could both make money, right? Because we both have different outlooks and different thesis, but you don't, you don't see that whole breakdown on Twitter. That's why it's so important to really take all that with a grain of salt. I mean, people are posting news articles and stuff. That's fantastic. But if someone just says like, I'm not doing this here because I don't like it, then I would just say, just straight up ignore that unless they give you a reason why. And you can look into the reasoning and see if it's going to affect your, your original thesis. Oh, I'm just I'm just looking for this um, uh, this uh, infographic thing I want to talk about. But while I'm looking for that, um, you we were talking earlier. You said you there's a pattern that you were working on for months, and it played out this week. Yeah, and I just wanted to ask you like the to kind of cover like the research you did to find the pattern and how you executed. Because I think a lot of people I think once they're kind of used to maybe trading or investing, the next step that they're stuck at is like, well, how do I recognize something as actionable what's my what's my what's my steps that do i take to to you know to find a, a a trade so i think the biggest thing for anybody who like anybody who's doing like actual like trading like when i say trading you're doing like intraday or you know swing trading over a few days or weeks or whatever um obviously the longer the time frame the more you have to know about the actual company but as far as just like the patterns and setups themselves like you really want to just you know, everybody says it's funny because our, our podcast is called Jack of All Trades, but you know, you don't want to be a jack of all trades when it comes to when it comes to actually trading, ironically. Like the best way to make money is just to be really good at you know, one thing. And like <clears throat> I'm sure there's gonna be people that can argue that say, Oh, well, if you only do one thing, then you're vulnerable in this kind of market or this or whatever. You know, I, I could say yeah to a certain, but realistically, like I've traded through several different types of markets and the only thing I usually do is just change my profit targets, change kind of how I'm entering. The overall setups are still the same. So like basically 
like I started short trading back in like December of 2020. So I've only been really like focused on shorting for, was that six months or something now, five, six months. Um, Cause before that I was doing like all long trades. Cause I just like, I was trying to short small caps and I was just getting frustrated cause I could never get shares. So I just like, all right, screw it. You know, this is a couple of years ago. I'm just going to trade long. So I was trading long for a while. And like, I, I always kind of was like, you know, having like decent plays here and there, but like the most volatile, t- like stocks and stuff like that. I just always found I was getting burnt because like all the volatile ones are all like really junky companies. Right. So most of the time the short is, is, you know, the better side to be on in my personal opinion. I know a lot of guys long them, but so it's kind of like, okay, well, over the winter, you know, I had time off work and everything like that. I'm going to start like looking into shorting this stuff because, you know, a lot of guys seem to do this. It seems like most of the guys that trade this stuff make most of their money on shorts. So I just started off, you know, really small. I started off trading with like 10 shares, 20 shares, whatever. I actually paper traded for like six weeks, even though I was already a profitable long trader. I was like, I don't know how to short. So I'm going to paper trade for a while and kind of get that, get a feel for this. And then really all you do is you just, you know, you start big and you just work your way in, work your way in. So what I did at the start, and I would recommend anybody do this who's starting or learning any kind of trading patterns on any time frame is just screenshot anything that looks interesting to you. So like on my computer, I have probably, I don't know, maybe 3000 screenshots of charts that I've saved over the years. And basically what I'm doing is I'm looking for anything that looks exciting. You know, like I look at my scanner at the end of the day, and I see a setup and, you know, it's got a big spike in that tank. So I'm like, wow, that was a huge move. I'm just going to save this chart. I don't know what I'm looking at yet, but I'm just going to save it. And then, you know, a month goes by and I have a whole bunch of them together. And then I'll take a Saturday and I pull them all aside and I look at every single one of them. I'm like, okay, what kind of similarities we got here? Go through them all and try and just try and look at anything that's kind of correlating between them, like anything that I could pick up that's kind of similar. And then from there, I say, okay, well, you know, this group of them kind of does this. This group of them kind of did that. And then these ones over there, they just look kind of messy. And I, I start separating them into groups. So like from my, you know, from my couple hundred or whatever that I have, I've now separated them into say like, you know, 25 different folders of individual patterns that have some similarities. <clears throat> and then from those, I just break it down even further. So I'll start, you know, that's when I start writing out like actually my playbook, I call it. I got that from Mike Belafar and his his book, One Good Trade. Great read, by the way. Um, basically, I have a, a big Word document that I write out and I write out, okay, like for this particular setup, like, and I put ten, like, 10, 10 bulletin points or whatever I'm saying. If it does this, I'm looking for that, you know, enter half size here. If it confirms, enter more. Cover targets are these. If it does this, get out, you know, cut your losses there. Um, if you get in and then it does this, then, you know, go to this. And it's kind of like a, almost like a, like a, what are they called? Like those tree charts or whatever, the flow diagrams. Oh yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. So you start here and then if it does this, you do these things. And then if it does this, this is a tree. yeah. And you just kind of like follow your way down. So like I have one particular setup and there might be like, you know, two to five different variations of that setup. So like when I get into a stock, I can look and I'll like, I'll have that open. And then I'll say, okay, it's doing this. And I'll take a quick look at that and I'll say, okay, it's supposed to do this now back and it's still doing that. And so I'm like, okay, well, this is obviously becoming, you know, pretty viable. And the other thing that really helps with breaking them out like that, because again, like, you know, I'm working full time. So I'm saving all these things at the end and just looking at them in hindsight. Right. So the other thing that I notice is, okay, I have these, you know, 20 some odd folders of these setups and, you know, it's been three months of this. And, you know, in this folder, I have five charts saved in this folder, I have 12. 
in this folder I have two, in this folder I have 15, in this folder I have 112. So I'm like, okay, let's focus on that one because that one seems to happen a lot, right? So that I put all my focus on the one that I'm seeing happening the most. And then from there, you do the same thing. You just get into it and just pick it apart, find out what's going on, you know, look at it all different time frames. Like, you know, I've been saving all of them in the, in say the three minute chart. And then I see something that I'm like, huh, and then I'll look at the one minute chart and it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you can see that there now in the one minute chart or like in the daily chart or, you know, in the five minute chart or whatever, right? Just, just look at all different time frames until you can eventually like pick everything apart and get it broken down into something that you just, you know, you know, through and through works very well and is really good risk reward. And that's basically, you know, like, like last Friday when I, I took the day off work so I could trade from home. Um, one thing I realized is I need more screens. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so for those that don't know, I have three screens right now that are, that are vertical. They're, I think like 27 inch monitors or something. And then I have a laptop beside me that I keep my watch list open on and like my word documents with my like trade plans. And then I have a little like mini screen. It's right here. Actually, I have this little like mini screen that I put right in front of me and that's where I have the chat room open and stuff. So. I have a TV downstairs, like a 45 inch TV. I'm going to hang above this and then I'm getting another desk beside me so I can get uh, two more monitors on it <laughs> because I swear I literally, I didn't have enough screen real estate, man. Like Friday was so busy. I had everything open on all my screens and I'm sitting there and I'm like flipping back and forth and I'm trying to like pull stuff up on my laptop on my other broker. And I was like, I need more real estate, man. <laughs> so anyway, but that, anyways, that's a, that's kind of a sidebar. But um, yeah, so basically like what I'm doing is I've, I've broken this down so far that on Friday, it was like, I didn't make very much money on Friday. Like, I mean, you know, I made a couple bucks. I, I started with a losing trade and then I had three winning trades after that. And my winning trades are always more than my losing trades. So everything went great. Um, but like, basically it was just like, it was being able to sit there and finally watch all that stuff in real time was just such good confirmation on this particular setup that I've been working on that it's like, okay, like seeing all this in real time, like a lot of these trades I'm doing, I'll set the orders beforehand. So I'm not watching them at work, right? Like I get up at four and I set my orders. Um, so the, it's just that extra level of confidence being, because seeing it in hindsight is very different than watching the order flow in real time, right? And watching all the shares and everything go through. So being able to actually watch it was just like a huge confidence booster saying like, okay, like this setup I'm working on this, like this works and it works really, really well. And it's hugely profitable. So that was kind of the nice thing to see on Friday. And as far as like all the different time frames um, that I was mentioning, I played around with all of them enough. So like I've gotten to the point now that when I set my orders for these things, basically I'm looking for I have the I have a line chart, I have a one minute chart, and I have a three minute chart. So I get my I get my levels off the line chart. I get my trend line breaks off of the one minute chart. So if it's going to reverse, I'll see that on the one minute chart first. And then I get basically, I like to call it my, you know, my psychology off the three minute chart. So the three minute chart is where I can kind of see like what people are thinking and like what the, what the general sentiment is. If people are getting stuffed out, if people are panicking, I get all that information off the three minute chart. So I'm basically like when I'm trading in real time off of some of these setups, the ones that I'm not just putting my fantasy orders out on, I'm looking at those three different charts at the same time. So if I have one stock, I got the line chart, the one minute chart, the three minute chart, the level two and the time of sales for that one stock and then i have you know 12 of those open on my computer just uh just so that our, our, our listeners know like you're 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 what you're doing is like 
day trading basically you're almost scalping like you're, you're you're trading within a really short time period right yeah like, like usually like i don't know i don't think any of my trades are really longer than maybe 10 minutes at the most like usually usually like five minutes if that <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so i hope our listeners like realize like there's not just any just one you're not just a trader there's so many different ways to make money doing this like Kaylin, and i'm jealous of it he spends 10 minutes actually trading right it's like the you manage the stress right yeah. it's like i'm in a swing so once i'm in it i'm in it like however long it's gonna be <laughs> yeah it. i kind of like that portion where you can get it in and out kind of quick but like remember like to be able to you know have those 10 minute days or whatever that's like you know that's years to get to this point and it's also still every night two to three hours every single night of the week to get ready for that next morning and getting up at 4 a.m to set my orders so yeah. like, mo like most of my trades that i do i get up at four and i just set my orders right and then they'll just you know they'll execute and if, if they execute if they don't they don't because i'm like i'm working i can't be sitting there trading right i'm only actually actively trading if i'm at home so it's more so like in the winter I do that because because of my like the way my business works and stuff. But so that's that's the way that most of my trading goes. But again, like to be able to do that, I have to do all that prep work outside to be able to put those orders in comfortably and know that like I don't have to be watching this, but I know that if those orders get hit, they have you know X percentage chance of working and the return is gonna be, you know, four to one or five to one or whatever. So that's taken, yeah. you know, that's that's been like you know, like I said, three hours every day of the week and like usually, you know, five, six hours a day, Saturday, Sunday for the past six months to get to this point. And that's also with three and a half years of just general trading experience beforehand. So I think yeah. it's, it's really, I just really wanted to mention that because I'm, I'm reading another book about, um, it's a Canadian guy, actually, his name's Andrew Aziz. It's called the, the I think it's the psychology of, of trading or something like that. It's a really, really good book, but um, that's just one of the things that he kind of mentioned that I, I wanted to emphasize as well is that, you know, you see these traders with their Lamborghinis and, you know, their houses and they're saying, oh yeah, it's so easy. You know, I just shorted here and I cover it there and you look at the chart and it makes sense. But like, you know, you might, that, that particular pattern might present itself and fail nine times out of 10 because you don't know the background behind the stock. You don't know the float you're looking for. You don't know the news you're looking for. You don't know the short float you're looking for. You know, there's, there's all the other things that, that go into that, you know, the, the history of the chart that makes that one particular setup work. So you might see that, you know, on a day or on, on, a, on a weekly time frame or whatever, but if you see it in any other stock, it won't work. Like my, my patterns won't work on something that's a large float stock. Like I can't do this on the S&P. It doesn't work, right? So if I just show you that setup, and then you try and do this on like a, you know, a real company for lack of a better term, it's probably not going to work. So it's just, you know, that's, that's just kind of really important to remember is that, you know, it's, it's been a, a four year journey to get to this point, to the point where I can, you know, quote unquote, only spend two hours, three hours a night to be able to throw those orders out and make money while I'm not watching the markets in 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you brought up something really interesting. I think, uh, uh, people shouldn't look at a company or the market as some abstract thing. Like it's uh, there's a lot of psychology behind it. Like you love studying the psychology behind this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I just wanted to say, like you're you're right. Different assets and different asset classes have different characteristics, and you got to think like who are the people playing this stock or playing this asset? Because those are the that that's the mentality that you're playing against or you're playing with, right? right. So like a small cap, <laughs> it's going to have a different demographic breakdown than like you know an Apple. Yeah. Right? Well, that's, that's why we always say, you know, like it's, it's like 
I don't want to fight against guys that know more than me. Like I don't work on wall street. I wasn't born into stock trading, you know, like Charlie Sheen and friggin' wall street. Isn't my dad, you know, <laughs> All this stuff. you know, so I, I don't, I don't, I know, like I'm, I'm modest enough to know that I'm not as smart as those guys and I don't have the kind of tools and information that those guys have. So those aren't the guys that I want to fight. So I don't want to be trading the S and P. I don't want to be, you know, like I invest in it, but I don't want to be trading it because I know that those guys are going to beat me. Like they have all, the, all the algorithmic programs that are in there, like, you know, during the day, there's just all institutions buying, like, like none of the stuff that I know and that I've learned over the past four years is valid on those stocks. So like the people that I want to, that I want to go to battle against are the people that were like me three years ago, the people that don't know what they're doing, right? They're just learning. Like those are the kind of guys I want to fight against because I have a good chance of winning, right? I don't want to yeah. fight against guys that I, I don't have good, good odds of winning against. You're right. Like, uh, I don't think we've talked about this on the show, but we, we hear it often when we're talking, when we're listening to other traders reading their books, it's like, they call it the edge. You need an edge. Yeah. And like everybody's, everybody's is different. Like that's why like this book I'm reading now is really interesting because it's kind of like a common, a combination of a bunch of different traders just kind of giving their inputs. And then, you know, Andrew kind of speaks to it sort of thing. And like, like one guy was saying, you know, um, he says, I, I've just noticed that like, I usually lose money in the morning and like I, I, I seem to be really like really profitable between like you know 11 a.m and like and like 1 to 2 p.m and like everybody you know that's kind of like general rule of thumb well not a rule of thumb but like most people say that like that are good they're like yeah you make all your money in the morning and then you make all your money at the end of the day because in the middle of the day things just kind of you know things just kind of float around there's not that many people trading like patterns aren't necessarily as valid so that's just kind of always been the aura over that time period and this guy's sitting there he's like he's like i always do really well in the middle of the day but i always lose money in the morning and i don't do very well in the afternoon and he's like is this bad like should i be trying something else and like basically long story short they're saying like no it, it doesn't matter at all like if anything stop trading and don't even come to the markets until 11 o'clock and just focus on what you're good at like if you're good at trading in that time period then why do you need to bother trying to learn a different time period it's 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 not going to help you. It's just going to stress you out. Like if you're, if you're doing it as a full-time job, then, you know, sure, you know, come in, maybe paper trade in the morning because you're doing this as a career now, trading that one little window and then paper trade in the morning, see if you can learn it. And then, you know, when 11 o'clock hits and it's your time to shine, swip o switch over to your real account, trade your real money. And like, then, you, you know, you can grow from there. But like most of the people in this book are people that are, that are working full-time or people that have like, you know, had other careers, they're older and they've like retired, you know, retired semi or whatever. And they're trying to learn how to day trade at this point. So like, they don't want to be risking a lot of money and they're just trying to kind of find like where they fall and everybody is different, right? Like even, you know, even last year, like most of my stuff was in the afternoon, like all the long trades I was doing were, were in the afternoon. And that was where I was most profitable. I, I lost money almost every time if I tried to do anything in the morning or swing anything. And it was just like, I, couldn't I couldn't figure it out I couldn't figure out what was going wrong like I was probably like not getting the right information or whatever but that was just what was working for me and then you know flip over to short trading and in my best time to make money is in the first you know half an hour of the day and that's doing all the work before getting up at four and setting up those orders which is something that I never thought I'd be doing and that's I've just kind of you know through the transition of learning all these different things that's sort of where I've just fallen into because that works for my job and that works for my mentality and now I found something that I'm actually consistently profitable on. So I haven't, like, I haven't taken a long trade in, in months and I have no interest in it because it's a whole nother thing now. And I'm, I've, you know, I've kind of ignored that.
Yeah, I, I, I literally went the opposite route as uh, as you did. My personal experience is like since uh, since last September, I started trading futures again. Uh, and then, but I was swing trading it. I might do one trade a week, you know, maybe one trade every two weeks. And I noticed by January, February, I was trying to get into a position at least once a week. And mm -hmm. by March, I was like, if I wasn't in something every day, I was, I felt like, I felt like a druggie that needed his fix. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's when I started losing a lot of money. Like I was wrong. Just, I just always, always on the wrong side of the trade. Yeah. And so I think April, whenever we talked last about that period, I, I went through that little, that little PTSD period. <laughs> And then, and then now I'm back, like I'm not back and just like swing trading on my, like the amount, the most amount of trades I did in the, in the last few weeks was literally, I think Wednesday when Bitcoin crashed, because I am, I set some sell orders um, to get, to get more into cash. And I just set my, my, um, my buy orders really low based on my technicals. And I just kind of left it there. I'm like, if it hits, it hits, it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit. And sure enough that day, like quite a few of my orders hit. Yeah. That's actually like, it's, it's funny that like, you know, the way that I trade again, like being like working and stuff like that, that's become a lot easier for me on the days that I do have off where I can trade like in real time from home is because I'm not paying attention to it. I just set my orders. It's, it's, it's taught me to be like, you know, oh, okay, well, nothing hit, nothing hit. That's fine. You know, shut it down and we'll look again tonight sort of thing. So like when I'm actually trading in real time, I have that same mentality because I used to, I used to be like that all the time too, where it's like, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, everything's moving. And like, looking at the chat room and everyone's like showing all these trades they made and everything's exciting. And it's like, Oh, I just want to be in something, but like, you just got to remember to, to chill and just let the trades come to you. Right. Because whatever my particular setup is, it, it only works if I can get in like right there, If I don't get in right there. It doesn't work. So yeah, it's, like, it's like the ultimate FOMO test, eh? Uh, getting in the markets. Like, you, like you said, like you see everything's happening. So like, shit, this is happening without me. If you're not in a position, yeah. And then, and then on a longer scale, even on the investing side, like, so I'll give you an example. I, I, the only time I made, a, I made a investment decision, not based on my own choice was, um, <laughs> it was 20, was the weed stocks in 2016. <laughs> Cause my best friend's into it, right? He's into, he smokes, he grows, like he's, he's into, he knows that field, right? So he invested and then I couldn't stand that he was making a ton of money in, in the weeds. I'm like, this is my shit. This I'm, I'm a trader. <laughs> like, <laughs> so, so that, so that I got into Aurora and like, I think I lost two grand within like, I don't know, maybe like eight months. Mm. I, I think I literally bought the top on that turd. Yeah. So, so like yeah. that was the old, that, so I learned that lesson. Like that was my only time where it's like, if I'm in a trade, it's because of it's my own independent decisions. If everybody else agrees, cool. If not, fuck you. Like I'm right. going to die by the sword, right? If I go down, I'll go down, but it's my decision. Yeah. And then, exactly. um, but then, but then that, I'm sorry. Sorry, go on. Oh, no, I, would, I just wanted to say that that trade taught me, I think, um, one of, I, I would say my top three biggest lessons that not, not, not for the not listening to somebody, because I already knew that lesson, I just need to be get, get slapped. But, 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 this, but the thing that I didn't know that I knew afterwards was the benefit of cutting losses, because I was I was in the red um, for like eight months. And I finally at one point, I was like, should I cut it or not? And Cutting the loss proved to me that well, I cut the loss, I took the money, put it into a very more a much more productive asset, and I got my I, I got my losses way back and like way more, right? And so mm -hmm. the lesson for me is like you gotta sometimes you just have to buy the bite the bullet. It's a loss, cut it because it's it, there's still money there, and if you put it to something more productive, you'll get your loss back. Yeah, and that's the thing too is like you know if you're if you're actually actively trading, you're 
you're probably like really good traders only win like 60% of the time. Risk reward is so important. Like if you think of think of somebody who's you know making a hundred trades, they're gonna they're gonna lose forty of those trades, right? But if you have even a two to one you know reward to risk ratio, you're gonna be making money. So that's why that's so important. And that that's like especially on the longer time frames, you know, like you see people that you know it goes below some support level or whatever. Maybe they don't even know what a support level is. Maybe they're just not sure. Like if you're not sure, just just sell the stock, take the loss. You can literally get back in one second later for the price of commissions if you really wanted to. But once you're out, then you can sit back and say, okay, you know, this is done. This sucks. Maybe take a walk, you know, take a breather, take a day, whatever, how long this trade's going to be and look at it again and really think things through and think about what you want to do. If it spikes up, you know, 5% the next day or whatever, if you're doing a swing trade, then if everything's still valid, you can say, okay, well, let's get back in and I'll risk here and I'm going to buy this much. And then you know what your risk is going to be, you know what your loss is potentially going to be and like where you're going to sell it, right? That's that's the biggest thing is that you can always get back in and it's just the price of commissions. But when you're in the trade, you can't think. You're not going to look at anything rationally if you're in the trade and you're losing. you got to get out and just look at it again with clear head and then make your decision based on that. Yeah, I think um, I think people need to realize it's more of a battle of reprogramming your mind, your perspective to see things differently. Because like, kind of, kind of on the other side of that, last I think last August towards the end of last summer, I had a it was a similar experience with the with the wheat stocks, but it's a little bit different. So I sold Bitcoin, I sold some Bitcoin around sixteen thousand, fifteen thousand, whenever it peaked around that summer, and it dropped to twelve, right? And it, mm -hmm. and it just and it and it started going back up. And then I didn't buy around the 12 mark and it started going past um, that I sold. And I started thinking in my head, well, let me wait for a pullback. because I don't want to sell something and then buy it back at a higher price. That seems stupid. But then when it hit 20,000 or 19,000, I was like, holy shit, this thing's going to break out. Like I trust my technicals. So I was like, even though there's a $3,000 gap between where I sold and where I might be buying in now, I bought it anyway. And mm -hmm. 19,000 to whatever, like in January, like, you know, it, it, it basically did a double. So it's like, there's a whole other side of it too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause something happened, right? Like you, you might've sold into a previous high and then it broke that high and it confirmed. So you just get right back in. Right. But if you did, if you, it could have easily gotten rejected off that high and tanked back down. So selling into that high was the right move. Yeah, it was, it was the right move. But then like, there's always the question of, I think it's just being stubborn. It's like, I don't want to buy back. I don't want to pay more for something that I, I sold for less. It's like a weird, you know, thing. And then like, yeah. but, but I'm like, Getting past that obviously was hugely beneficial. So it's like, it's it's just weird how it's a battle of psychology, you know, trading. Yeah, that's what that's what everything is, man. That's why I'm so into it. Like, yeah. I'm like I spent I spent years, you know, learning the charts and learning what to look for and learning support and resistance and all this stuff. So I'm at a point now where I I'm confident and I know how to trade and I know what to look for and I know how to trade the charts and all that kind of stuff. So the biggest thing for me to learn now that's going to improve my trading is my own head and my own mentality and like you know because I, I i can like i'm really good at looking at things objectively now so like if i make a trade or something like that i can i can look at it and say okay like i took profits too early and then look at it you know why was i feeling that way or whatever and that, that's what like that's one of the biggest things that i try to work on is like when i get in like when you're in this stuff and when you're learning these things and when you're setting your targets it's like you've got to really understand yourself and you gotta you gotta really be able to almost like talk to yourself as a coach basically and like, you know, if someone, if someone was standing over your shoulder teaching you how to do this and they had all your information and all your know-how 
and patterns that you knew worked and you had all that data and you're saying, you know, no, I'm getting nervous. I want to sell here like because I'm a little bit in the red or like I want to sell now because I'm a little bit in profits or whatever the situation is. You need to have that, you know, almost secondary personality that says, no, 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 hold on. Like if you were teaching someone else how to do this and they had all this information, you would say, no, why would you do that? It hasn't hit your stop loss. Your profit targets up here. The trade is still working. So what, like what's why are we even having this conversation? Right. That's a, I could have used that uh, just so I was telling you the, the, the trade on, on Wednesday because I bought, uh, I ate it down like 96 cents and I sold at a buck 63 or 62, even though I thought that two bucks, it, was, it looked like it wanted to go to two bucks. But I literally, I didn't sell because it hit my target. It hit, I sold because of, I looked at the percentage gain. I'm like, this is a huge percentage gain. So I mean, it's it's debatable whether or not that's a wrong decision because it's, it's profit and it was like 50 something plus percent. But at the same time, there is a mistake there. I think it's not it's not sticking right. to, to your guns, right? Yeah, I think maybe we can even like I know Sam was talk, asking us before the podcast about size. Oh yeah, so yeah, you. you say, uh, <laughs> yeah, so like yeah, like for me, um, like when I'm doing my trades, I'm usually I'm usually entering them in like two or three shots, and I'm usually getting out in two or three, um, depending on the setup. Like if I'm live trading, um, like. Well, here, let's back up a little bit. So all the orders that I'm that I'm presetting are almost always two or three entries because I'm trying to hit like a little range basically. And then I have all my stops are in the same spot. So my entering here, my stop is here. If I'm entering here, my stop is here. Like the stop is always the same. And then that way I know, you know, before I go into the trade, I do the math. I'm like, okay, this is this is my max loss on this trade. Put all the orders out or whatever. I have my max daily loss. And I know, okay, if all these orders hit. And all of them lose. I'm I'm gonna be on my max daily loss, and that's like that's where I start. So the first thing I look at is how much I'm gonna lose, and then as long as I'm okay with that, then the orders are going through. And then usually I'll I'll exit in the same amount. So like if I have three to come in, because again I'll set you know I'll set a, a short a prop or a stop loss and a profit taker. So I'll do that for three, and then like some of them might even be overlapping. Like I might have you know two entries that are different for shorts, and then I might have two of the same covered targets on the, on those positions, and then I might third entry that's you know a little bit higher a little bit lower so i'll kind of depending on the setup i'll kind of play around with them a little bit um but usually it's two or three in and out for me um and then for like if i'm trading in real time again depending on the setups usually those are more kind of one shot in because what i like to do is on those like those fantasy orders that i put out if i'm trading in real time if they hit i see confirmation on that because i'm usually playing like a four or five to one risk reward setup I have a, I have like, they move quick. Like sometimes it's, you know, in like in a one minute bar, but like when I see that confirmation, maybe it's on like the level two, if I see a big seller or whatever the situation is, then I'll have my hotkeys and I'll just, I'll just dump a bunch more in and just short it and cover it. Like, you know, just with my hotkeys and then my, my preset orders will just fill automatically. So I don't have to worry about them. Um, and then there's other setups I do. They're all kind of, this, they're all kind of similar, similar plays where I'll usually do one entry and I'll have two exits. So like I'll have, I'll have um, a little bit later in the day when things are kind of slowing down if I'm trading real time, I have a certain setup that I look for where I'll go in one entry because it's, it's really tight and it's usually like only a couple pennies risk like that I'm risking and I'm looking to make, you know, like 10 or 15 cents kind of thing. So like I'll go into that just full size right at the top because it's such a tight window. I don't, I don't really like to range those ones. And then I'll usually exit in in either one or two um, two exits. So it kind of depends on the setup, but I'd, I'd say most of the time, probably at least like eighty percent of the time, I'm going in and out at least twice, usually three times. 
Actually, I think three is a pretty good number. I know um, like when I trade, I, I look at it this way. I have my, I call it my early bird, my, my majority, and then my, my low ball. So my early bird is like where I think the, in the most optimistic of the bullish situation with this price term. And then I put an order there. And then I put the bulk of my order where I think it's it, where it looks right. That's where you want it to pull back to. And then I have a low ball order, just like if it hits, it hits. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And then so we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah. But, you, but but to your point, though, it's you need to start off by looking at what your risk is in the first place, like how much you mm -hmm. want to put on this play. Because I think so. So I think I, we've said this before, like the size of your bet should reflect the confidence you are uh, in, in, in the trade. Right. So the yeah. trade I did on Wednesday, one of them was like eighteen hundred bucks. So it's like that that reflected my confidence on it. Like I didn't, you know, I wanted some money out of it, but I didn't want to put too much risk out there. So so I think that's important too to figure out like how confident are you in this trade? I think is important too. Like don't go all in on like a, on like a hey hail mary. <laughs> no, yeah, never never hit that button unless you know what you're what you're gonna lose if it if it stops out on you. Yeah, yeah, Sam, do you want to pull this up? I wanted, I just thought this was this is interesting. I want to get your thoughts on it. So this guy posted, uh, an investor who invested 100 bucks in the S&P 500 in 1960 and held, in, held their investment would now have 43,000 in change. The same investor, if they employed BTD, so buy the dip strategy of buying in 1960 and selling at all-time highs, waiting for a 10% correction, will have a portfolio of 434. So this sounds good on paper. And I understand the point that he's trying to get into in that you know most people can't time the market. That's fair. But this, but if you look at what he's actually saying there, the way he structured this problem, it's like, obviously, because yeah. most things trend up, right? And so you're going to have significantly more all-time highs than you are going to get 10% correction. Like a 1% move from an all-time high is an all-time high. A 10% yeah, correction it. is a significant thing, right? I said, I, as soon as I read that, I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm looking at it, I'm like, of course, like, you know what I mean? So if you if you were to say, you know, sell every 10% jump and buy every 10% dip, that changes the dynamics a little bit. Okay, so let, let me let me put this in in terms. You you can, you can <laughs> you think about this, but let, let me put this in a little bit of a different layout to what where it probably makes more sense for people who are investing. So if you're putting a hundred bucks in the S P in 1960, then as you accumulate more money, you can put that in, but maybe leave a small percentage of it aside to buy those dips. So like basically what I'm saying is, you know, let's say you put, let's just use bigger numbers to make it a little bit easier. You have 10,000 bucks, you buy in the S&P today and, you know, you're saving money because, you know, you have bills to pay or whatever. You're just leaving that 10,000 bucks. It's doing its thing and you're saving money. You're saving money. You have another 10,000 bucks. Okay. Well, since you bought that first, that first chunk, maybe the S&P has just been going straight up. So maybe you buy, I don't know, maybe 8,000 bucks, maybe 8,500 bucks worth of S&P on that ride up. And maybe just hold that 1500 bucks aside for if you get a big pullback, right? Like just kind of play with that like 10, 15% cash to be able to buy and take advantage of those dips. But yeah, I mean, again, like if, if you're looking at, you know, if you're looking at something and you're thinking, I'm going to hold this for 50 years, like we could be in a five-year bear market. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's completely irrelevant. So that's, that's, that's kind of the only takeaway I would take from that is that if you're going to if you're going to wait and buy the dips, don't hold all your money and wait to buy the dips. Just keep buying into something that you're going to be holding for decades. That's fine. That's a great way to invest. And then hold a little bit of cash on the side just in case. Like a lot of funds do that. A lot of fund managers will do that where like 
depends. Like, you know, if you, you talk to different funds, they'll tell you different things. Some guys keep 5% cash, some guys all the way up to 20, probably depending on the volatility of the fund or whatever. But it is something a lot of guys do because you, yeah, you don't want to be in a, in a spot where, you know, the market does what it does in 2020 and you have no cash on hand and you got to sit there and just, you know, let that hundred percent gain or whatever it is go to waste. So you want to have a little bit on the side, but I think, Again, it comes back to time frame. If you're going to hold something for 50, 60, 70 years, just just buy when you have the money to buy. Don't worry about getting in at the low. Don't worry about selling at the high. If it's an investment, it's an investment. It's not a trade. Yeah. Actually, adding to that, I think Warren Buffett's up to like $160 billion in cash now. That's almost 45% of in cash. That's almost 45% of his entire Berkshire um, portfolio. And, oh, wow. Yeah. And if you ask him, he just says it's because there's no deals. It's like, I don't want to be 45% of cash. I'd love to put this to work, but there's just no deals. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Right. Just imagine that. Now, I, I think he, he's completely missing technology, but the philosophy is right. You know, if, if you don't see a good opportunity for your money, just don't deploy it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But again, this, you know, this is an index. This is kind of one of those like safe house 8% per yeah. year or whatever it is kind of things. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. I think that's the biggest takeaway is that you do, you you want to be able to take advantage of the dips, but you don't want to wait because you might not get a dip for ten years. <laughs> yeah, like waiting for a dip is more like some high level high level traders, like definitely not what you want to do as a beginner. Yeah, and like I didn't yeah. I didn't sorry. Go comes, ahead. I was just gonna say it just it always comes back to time frame, right? Like if you're if you're trading something intraday. Yeah, wait for the dip. <laughs> if the dip doesn't come, you don't take the trade. If you're trading something over a week, yeah, probably wait for the dip. If you're trading something over a month, maybe buy some now and then save a little bit for the dip. If you're trading over three months, maybe buy most of it now and save 30% for the dip. If you're trading over 50 years, maybe buy pretty much all of it now and save 5% for if it dips, right? Like, I mean, that, you know, that's just my own, my own opinion there. But And like... And like, I also posted the other day when I did that like $1,800 trade, like I was like, I wanted to make the point that like, I think a lot of people have the idea that you have to start off with like a big wad of cash, like it takes money to make money kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, to an extent that's true, but I think you'll agree. What's more important is to look at the percentage gains. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so like, yeah. That's the easiest way to trade. Even if you're making a lot of money, I think it's, I think it's a mentality thing. Like think about if you have a million dollar account, I mean, you know, do you want to set your risk at, you know, $10,000 a day? You know, like looking at $10,000 kind of stings, but if you set it at, you know, 1%, it's like, ah, well, whatever. You know, 1% is 1%, right? I'm looking to risk 1%, I'm looking to make 1% or 2%. That's a lot easier to swallow than, than looking at that dollar figure. So that kind of yeah. gets worse. It kind of gets worse as you grow. Because if you have a $100 account, it's like, Oh, okay. I'm gonna risk. I'm gonna risk one percent. So I'm gonna risk a dollar. You know, you lose a dollar. It's like, oh, whatever. It's a dollar. But then all of a sudden, it's a hundred dollars, and it's like, okay, it's a hundred bucks. Then you get better, and then it's a thousand bucks. It's like, oh, thousand bucks kind of stings. So like, if you're always thinking of it as percentage, it makes it a lot easier on the on the stomach. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, like I wanted to. Uh, I just wanted to point out so that not you have to get you have to get used to like being in the suck too, right? So I just wanted to show people my portfolio because like. I think it helps when somebody can relate uh, that they're not the only one going through some pain. So this is my my RSP. This is one I've been I've had for like nine years. So it's you know in the last three months it's down twenty percent year to date it's down like thirteen um, percent. And this is because I'm overweight Tesla. So basically whatever Tesla does, this portfolio is going to do. It. <laughs> 
So what you guys are actually looking at is a stock chart of Tesla, just so we're clear. <laughs> I have I have made I have made conscious attempts since January to diversify. So I got some Nvidia in there too, and some other things, but it's still overwhelmingly Tesla, and so this is why why I'm down. But like the reason I'm not I'm not particularly freaked out is because I've gone through this before, but also because like when a stock is down, the only thing I do is to do more research. Is I just want to make sure the company's doing well. You know, yeah. they're they're expanding their factories and they're going to be doing your cyber truck later in the year. Giga Berlin's coming out, right? And uh, the um, Model S refresh, the Plaid's coming out. Uh, actually, on June 3rd, they're going to have the uh, delivery, first deliveries happening, right? So, like, fundamentally, the company's never been better. And so the stock price is a little bit divorced from the performance of the company right now. So that's why I'm not freaking out. It sucks maybe looking at the numbers, but it really, it's kind of meaningless, yeah. right? So... So that's where I just wanted to say it's at like, it's like, and then the other thing, so this is my TFSA, that, that's the one I started last April. And then this one's up significantly, but because I was trading the shit out of uh, Galaxy. Mm. Um, and, uh, and this is actually a good lesson too. So it's up 63%, but it would be significantly lower if I, if I didn't uh, sell Galaxy. So Galaxy hit its all time high a few months ago, I think, or a few weeks ago, sorry, it was like 40, 40 something dollars, right? And I was selling on the way up from 30 to 40. And just something told me, like, don't get back into it. Like, you, you, sometimes you get attached to a stock that's been really good to you. <laughs> I think you know what that is, right? And like, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, so Galaxy's been really great to me this year. But then I was looking at the charts and just like, it's nothing that makes me think it's going to go higher, but a lot to make me think it's going to go lower. So I just didn't jump in. I just sat on the side of cash. And if I jumped in, like, that number would be, be quite, a, quite a bit uglier. Mm -hmm. And so, like, yeah, I just wanted to, to mention those things real quick. So it's like emotional decisions could really put you in a different place really quickly. Yeah, that's, yeah, again, like, you know, I think it's sound like a broken record now. It comes back to time frame again, right? Like if you're all that money that you put in there, you're, you're putting in there for your retirement fund, basically. So if it's down 12% or whatever, then it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. Like you're not going to panic out of that for, you know, three months worth of, of selling. Yeah, yeah. I just um I don't should I should I mention the bet real quick because I think some people yeah sure oh, oh that is. so Willie did up end up um give give me giving me a congratulations um like two two but two days after so we made the bet let me see if I have have the file actually but so we made the bet um so we made the bet back in March and it was Bitcoin was at fifty five thousand dollars and we're we're saying that it won't and he was saying that it won't go below 50 53,000 again well so so the original tweet that sparked my interest was that he said bitcoin will not trade below a trillion dollar valuation again and that was 53,000 something years so that was mm -hmm. the original tweet and then a lot of people jumped on jumped in on that tweet saying that you know i, I we disagree and then um this guy put up said oh, i bet you a bitcoin uh, that that, it, that 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 you're wrong and that guy never replied back, but then I jumped in. I was like, I'll bet you half a Bitcoin that you're wrong. <laughs> and then and then I went to sleep and then he got back to me the next day and he's like, I'll take the bet. And I was kind of like, fuck. <laughs> I just wanted to confirm that this was after a night of drinking, I think, right? Yeah, I was I was I was drunk when I saw the tweet. <laughs> so that so that's also part of why I said fuck in the morning, because I looked, I I, I literally run ran to the desk, looked at my chart again. I was like, was I right? Like, was I thinking straight? Like what was going on, right? Um but yeah, like the 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 bet was um, 
the bet was that Bitcoin won't close below 44,600 on a daily candle. And prior to Wednesday sell-off, it actually, that was actually a really strong um, uh, price. Because Bitcoin could easily go below that number, but to close below it is a bitch. Because Bitcoin, like you, you see it, it does, it, it'll pop like 10, 20, 50%, like for hours, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, we ended up, I ended up being right and I got, I got, I got the Bitcoin uh, back. But, um, but I think what was important was like uh, the Twitch. So he's got like half a million followers on Twitter, right? So yeah. I, I actually, so when I won the bet, I actually didn't announce it or anything. Like I just kind of took the money. I didn't, I didn't say anything. And I, because I, I, I didn't want him to get shit on by Twitter. Yeah. They're vicious, right? Um, but what ended up happening was a lot of people started commenting on on the feed. They were like, um, it's actually pretty impressive that how the two of you handled it. Because it's like, you had a disagreement. You didn't, you didn't flame each other. You're just like, let's just put it, put our money where our mouth is. And then, you know, and then when when it was over, like, we're both pretty gracious about it. And just like, let's move on, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I thought I thought that was pretty cool. I thought it was pretty surprising to me. Like, neither of us got, well, I got flamed at the beginning. But nobody flamed anybody at the end, though. Yeah, that just gives them so much more credibility. Like I like, like if people are going to admit when they're wrong or when they make a bad trade or something like that, like that just makes you respect them so much more because nobody's right all the time. So if you're if yeah. you're if you're looking at some guy who's saying he's right and you're just getting mad about stuff like that, then you know what? Like what the hell kind of information is this guy spitting out, right? Yeah, but I just wanted to to because so after the bet, um, after I won the bet, I remembered something. He was on a podcast called What Bitcoin Did. I want to say in April, late late April. And then, uh, so the, the the interview was asking him like, where do you see Bitcoin going? And then, you know, do you do you fear a pullback? And if so, what range? And then Willie was saying that his models has a floor, and he says Bitcoin has never broken that floor. But what happened was right as he said that, he's like, now that I said that, I bet you traders going to try to break me. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I remember him saying that, and then I was like, oh, did he just jinx himself? And sure yeah. enough, like a month later, like. You know, models are meant to be broken, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think any. I mean, nothing's perfect in the stock market, man. I feel like I feel like that's the thing. It's like like we were saying earlier. I think once people, everybody's eyeballs are on a specific number, what you thought was going to happen is is likely not going to happen. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right, anyway, well, I think we should wrap it up, guys. Cool. It's a great episode. All right, YouTubers. Uh, like like we've seen, like message us with your questions because I know there's some stuff that you you might be wondering that we haven't touched on. Like today's episode, the stuff that I brought up was mostly stuff stuff that I was being asked personally. So I thought I'll share on the podcast. And so like yeah, feel free to send us your messages. All right, take care. Thanks, guys.